welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 156, Talking Turkey with Chris Parrish. And I am your host and the guy who got in trouble with the law this week. You heard me right. I got in trouble with the law, and I actually led the police on a short, low-speed, OJ-style chase on a Birmingham street this week. (laughs) And I'll tell you more about that in just a minute, but right now we are 147 days, 8 hours, 37 minutes, and 41 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama, and... I am very blessed to say that I won't be in prison this year for the opening day of turkey season because of the low-speed chase that I took the police on. So I'll try to make this story pretty brief. So earlier this week, I told one of my clients that I would meet her in the parking lot at one of the local Lowe's home improvement stores here in Birmingham to get some documents from her because she did not have time to bring those documents by my office because she needed to get her mother to her radiation treatment and I needed those documents that day. So I agreed to meet her at the Lowe's and in typical fashion, I left my office a couple of minutes later than I should have. And I was nervous on the way there that I was going to be a couple of minutes late because I knew my client was going to be a couple of minutes late to get her mother to her radiation treatment. And I did not want to be the cause of her mother getting to her radiation treatment any later than they were already going to get there. So I'm nervous that I'm going to make them even more late, and I don't want to. So as I'm driving down the road to get to where I'm going to meet them, I ended up getting behind three different vehicles that felt like they needed to almost come to a complete stop in the road that we were on in order to turn right. And two of those people actually had a right-hand turn lane. So I was getting a little bit frustrated as I was driving. I wasn't speeding and I wasn't driving erratically until the third car in front of me just about did come to a complete stop to turn right. And at that point, because that car did have a right-hand turn lane that they did not want to use for whatever reason, I decided I was going to use the center turn lane to pass that vehicle. And I did. After I passed that vehicle, 
I look in my rearview mirror and I just so happen to see a vehicle two cars behind me with a brush guard on the front and a row of thin lights on top of it. And I thought, that doesn't look real good for me right now. And about that time, as I'm looking at that vehicle in the rearview mirror, blue lights come on on top of that vehicle. And the car that was between me and the police car decided they would pull over onto the side of the road and the police officer passed them. And now the police officer's gaining speed in order to get up behind me to let me know that he wants me to pull over. So he gets right up behind my vehicle and it's pretty obvious to me that I am the reason that he's got those blue lights on. But at this point in time, I was about three quarters of a mile away from where I needed to meet my client. And I thought to myself, if I pull over right now, there is no way that I'm going to be able to meet my client to get those papers from her right now. And there's no way that I'm going to be able to get those papers from her after her mother's radiation treatment because she'll still have her mother with her and she will want to get her mother back home. And I made the conscious decision of proceeding on towards my meeting spot with my client with a police car in hot pursuit behind me. So after about a quarter of a mile or so with the police officer behind me with his lights on, he flipped the siren on just to let me know that he was there. And I kindly waved at him to acknowledge the fact that I knew he was there, but I kept on. When I turned into the parking lot of Lowe's to meet my client, I parked the truck and the police officer got out of his vehicle. My client got out of her vehicle at the same time. The police officer approached from the passenger side window. My client approached from the driver's side window. And as a police officer starts to talk to me through the passenger side window, I held my hand up and asked him to please just hang on for a second that I needed to talk to her very quickly. So I got the papers from my client and talked to her very briefly for a matter of maybe five seconds. And she turned around and walked off and got in her car. And when she did, I looked over at the police officer in the passenger side window and I said, Sir, I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to be rude. I didn't mean to take you on an OJ style police chase down the road. (laughs) But I had to get here to meet her to get these documents from her. So he then proceeded to ask me why I passed the car using the turn lane. And at that point in time, I told him, the story as to why I was in a hurry to meet my client there. And he asked me for my driver's license and my insurance verification card, and I gave him those two things. He went back to his vehicle, and about 10 minutes later, he came back with my license and my insurance card and politely asked me to be more careful next time. Not even a written warning, just a verbal warning asking me to be more careful and telling me that he did not want to have to work a head-on collision accident involving me because I used the center turn lane to pass someone. And he's right. But fortunately for me, I got out of that whole situation with no ticket, no accident, not hurting anyone, and still getting my client on the road to get her mother to her radiation treatment. But I've never been involved in a low-speed police chase before, and I'm not sure I'm going to do it again, but it was pretty uncomfortable. 
<laughs> I gotta be straight up with you guys. It was pretty uncomfortable for me. All right, so enough about my run-in with the law. I've got a quick intro and outro for you guys today. I have Chris Parrish on the phone with me this week after having him help me with a little project that I'm working on that I hope I will be able to share with you guys in the next 60 days or so. I hit Chris up to do a short interview with me this week to share how his spring 2017 season went. And, well, here's Chris Parrish, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, guys, I have on the line with me today Chris Parrish. And as you guys know, Chris has been on the show several times before. He's a friend of the show and an all-around good guy. And I actually got the opportunity to spend some time with Chris over the past 24 hours and work on a little project together with him. And I'll be telling you guys more about that in another episode a little later in the year. But I tricked Chris into coming on the line with me today just to kind of give us an update as to how his spring 2017 season went and what his major takeaways were from this past season. And I know we're now for many states in the fall season, but it never hurts for us to hear stories of turkey hunts, whether it's spring or fall, and get a few takeaways from those. So Chris, thank you very much for your time over the past day, but also for agreeing to come on the podcast again with me and share how your season went this past year. So how are you? Doing well, doing well. I haven't seen you in probably, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. I know you missed me. I know. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I just, you I call, feel hey, that. you called me. <laughs> oh, no, here it goes again. Uh, well, quit calling me, man. Uh, I'm going to have to yeah, get a restraining no. order on you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing well. I, I got out of Birmingham, by golly. That can't be a bad thing. I got out of there without being being in an accident. Man, I'm telling you, traffic yesterday in Birmingham was a royal mess in the morning. I had to get out there in it. It tends to be that way. Yeah, it it does. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, turkey season was awesome, Andy. I had one of the best years that I've ever had. I didn't hunt a lot of places. I hunted Nebraska, Missouri, and Kansas. Successful everywhere. Limits with tags I had available. And I found that the turkeys worked well. Uh, I didn't have a lot of issues for the most part. Uh, probably the toughest turkey that I hunted overall was the second bird that I killed in Missouri. And it was, you know, probably a, a situation of where our timing was perfect for the, the peak breeding. You know, very hinned up turkeys. They were laying a little bit fickle. We had a lot of ups and downs in weather. We would go from rainy, drabby days to super hot days, you know, not those average days. And right. I think whenever you have the, the, those major pressure changes, turkeys just act fickle during those, those major pressure changes. And if they're happening on a every other day basis, it kind of keeps them in a funk, if you will. And uh, I found that happening the last part of the Missouri season. But, you know, Kansas, as always, was fantastic the birds gobbled well as they always do they tend to have a fantastic ongoing population of turkeys good hatches every year a lot of that has to do with just habitat they just have good nesting habitat with a lot of the crp and their farming practices they don't farm all the way up to the edges of fence rows they keep fence row cover and it just it just makes makes it easier for the turkeys to to hatch out and, and to raise a good brood but yeah I found that my second bird, just a little story there, my second bird in Missouri, I found myself 
making some mistakes that I'd made early in my hunting career. You know, this was my 42nd year of turkey hunting, and you think you have it all figured out, and you think you've got all those mistakes eliminated, and you find out real quick that your amount of time that you get to spend hunting and putting pressure on yourself can revert you back to your childhood, pulling fully stunts and making hasty setups. And I'll, I'll quickly go through it. I, I had my first morning in Missouri, Steve Stoltz filmed me, and I roosted birds the night before, went in, set up 65 yards from them on the roost. Thought there was only one bird, to tell you the truth. Ended up being three, and I ended up killing a really, really good inch-and-a-half spurred turkey. Just I would have shot any three of them. I just happened to shoot probably the bigger of, of the three by accident, which mm-hmm. happens sometimes. Bird worked right off the roost. I was done at like 6.23 in the morning. It was over with quick. <clears throat> and, of course, you always like that when, when it goes that way. Yeah. But my second bird, I, I found myself kind of stuck on a turkey. There was actually a pair of turkeys. Now, they wouldn't roost together, as you would find, you know, a lot of turkeys. So when they, they would roost within about 100 yards of one another. But they were always together. Mm-hmm. And they would never fly down and go the same direction. But they were always roosted within 100 yards of one another. It was a, it was kind of funny, and it, it led me to believe at the time I was probably dealing with, you know, some older age-class birds, some mature turkeys. And I tried to hunt them. It seemed like, too, they had a little bit of a pattern. They would roost on a little ridge, and they would roost there for about two days, and then they would move over, and they would roost in this little, this little bottom about 300 yards in a different direction. They'd roost in that bottom, and they'd roost there for a couple of days, and then they'd go over and roost on that ridge for a couple of days. And I hunted them about probably four days and you know off and on just simply because i'm not in a row but but the weather kind of got me a little bit where it was storming one day and i couldn't hunt and this yeah. and that i had to travel this day i couldn't hunt well i just kind of was thinking i had to go to kansas and finish up my season and i went over there finished up my season i came back and i had basically what i thought was going to be a half a day on saturday not a half a day but like the later in the morning through the the end of the you know one o'clock time period and maybe maybe a sunday to hunt that was going to be the end of it mm-hmm. my wife called me on the way and she said hey i'm going for a run in the morning uh rusty is going to go ahead and stay all night with your mom and dad and i said well shoot i'll just get up and go hunting if that's okay and she goes that's fine so i thought to myself i should be on that third day interval with these turkeys and they ought to be in this little bottom so I didn't get home till late. I took a chance. I, I got up that morning. I slid in in a pitch dark, probably 45 minutes before you could even see the ground. Where they had been roosting at in this bottom, there's a couple of sycamore trees in there, big, tall sycamore trees. And I just took a chance that maybe one of them would be in there. And I got in there and sat down about 65 yards of that tree and got myself situated on the top of the little – it's a bottom, then it comes up on a little – a little ridge hump and then goes out to a, a gravel road that is a just a road that's inside the the, the piece of property it's it's part of the property it's not yeah, something not someone a boundary road yeah okay right and i i sat up there and as it started getting where i could skylight i looked and i saw a turkey in a tree and i i looked with binoculars and i thought it was a hen about five o'clock that hen gobbled and uh, ended up being a, a gobbler and so i thought well i'm sitting right here I got a 50-50 chance of him flying down in my lap. I'm not going to make a sound. I'm just going to sit here. Sometimes the best calling we can do is no calling at all, especially in a situation like that. Yeah. And there was another bird. His buddy was actually across this little through lane right on the other side, and he started gobbling. So now I'm between two turkeys, but I could be in the dilemma if one from behind me started coming and I was still facing this other turkey. Well, 
the other turkey jumped up on another branch and the one in front of me and he acted like he was going to turn and and fly down the opposite direction and at the same time this turkey behind me gobbled and he was on the road so he's 60 yards and coming and i had made a peep he's just coming to that other turkey goblin so now understand we're at the last part of the season here this is the second to the last day okay so probably the majority of the breeding is done most of the hens are on the nest and sometimes you see these turkeys gobble each other back up well, I thought to myself, boy, I could be in a pickle. This bird comes, I'm going to have to let him walk completely by me before I shoot because he's going to come in behind me. If I call, I'm going to lock him up behind me. And this turkey looks like he's going to fly the other direction. So all I did is I made one cluck. The turkey in front of me pitched out, started to sail, and made a loop and, and sailed back around and landed about 25 steps in front of me. I never made a call to him. I never did anything. I just trained the gun on him and pulled the trigger, and I was right. He was another inch and five sixteenth spurred turkey old mature bird yeah and i was done at like five forty in the morning so but i had some incidences in between that where i would hunt those turkeys of the morning and then i would take off and start running and gunning going after other areas where some other birds were and i found myself putting so much pressure on me because of my time schedule of traveling other places that i was working too fast I was making hasty setups and not studying the terrain and putting myself in bad positions and then and then and bumping turkeys, you know, yeah. just by acting too fast and not, not looking the situation over. And it goes to show you, it doesn't matter how long you hunt, how much time you have under your belt, you're, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to do crazy things and foolish things and they're going to make you look like a fool at some point. Right. I think that's a good reminder for all of us and even the new hunters because they may be making those mistakes for the first time, but, you know, and trying to learn from those mistakes so they don't make them again. But it's good to know that they're not the only ones that make it. Even us guys who are experienced make those mistakes. And chances are they're going to make the mistake again, too. Even if they learn from it the first time, it it, it can happen again. And I definitely can relate to what you went through in the middle part of the season because I think for a lot of us, the middle part of the season in most states is tough hunting because the birds are usually hinned up and they don't gobble a whole lot. Not as much as they do early and in that magic period of two or three or four days late in the season when they're trying to, when they find themselves alone and they haven't been alone before, they get pretty desperate at that point. But those those mid-season hunts can be a struggle. And it can be frustrating and no matter how seasoned you are. Yeah, and we we tend to try to force things to happen, make decisions that aren't the best. And we know after we make them that they're not the best decisions. So, yeah, I I can definitely relate to, to all that. I think my frustration level when I'm hunting in Alabama is always highest in the in the middle part of the season. You know, I, I well, tend, tend to start out fairly hot every year, fortunately, thankfully, and I hit a mid-season lull, and then, you know, I'll generally will finish out the season pretty well. So Right, right. Yeah. And it's just, it's the typical way it is, you know, and I think the only way you can, and there's really not a way that you can prevent that sometimes from happening, but the only way is to spend time scouting and really pinpoint the location of what's going on with those turkeys because you're going to go through a, you know, a lull in gobbling. And unless you know kind of what they're doing on a daily basis, it's hard to put your finger on what's going on. Yeah. So is it too early to look ahead to 2018 and hear what your plans are for 
the spring 2018 season? No, you know, I, uh, I will always hunt Kansas, probably my favorite state in the U.S. to hunt. I've got, you know, good friends up there and great places to hunt. It's just, you know, it's always fun to hunt a place. And, and this is kind of kind of eastern Kansas, so you're, you're hunting mainly eastern birds. You know, not, not a lot of Rios there. You get a few hybrids. But it's just fun when you're hunting an area that's got a good turkey population, a consistent turkey population, good goblin turkeys, and, and low hunting pressure. You know, the turkeys yeah. just don't get hunted as hard there as they do in a lot of other places. It may be because there's just so much private land that, you know, it's, it's not a, a situation where a lot of people have a ton of permission. I, I don't know what the, what the situation is, but you just don't see a lot of trucks parked on the road. And I really, I really enjoy that. You know, I'm definitely going to hunt Missouri. Obviously, that's my hometown. And hopefully you and I get a chance to hunt somewhere together this spring. I'd, I'd like to try to get you to Missouri or Kansas or come down and share an Alabama hunt with you or, yeah, yeah, let's you know, something like that. that. Try to try to make something like that happen. I I don't generally spend the time that I used to, and, and resources and money turkey hunting all over the the country like I did years ago, simply because one I've done so much traveling with it, doing outdoor rider hunts and, and other stuff where I, I just don't have the time to do it like I used to, mm-hmm. and so I limit myself to hunting two to three, maybe maybe four states, but usually two to three states for sure, and. I tend to now kind of save that dollars and cents back for for more major hunts, uh, big game type hunts instead of instead of turkey hunts because I I have been so blessed and fortunate to, to hunt all over the country and, and harvest a lot of turkeys and yeah and, but you know there's there's special places and special times and you know sharing the woods with my son during the youth season and and my wife likes to turkey hunt and spending time with her in the turkey woods and trying to help her get a turkey and. And you know, hopefully my dad's 78, so I'm hoping I can get back out with him this spring and maybe watch him shoot one more turkey and just kind of just have one of those relaxing seasons where you don't feel the pressure. Yeah. When you're talking about hunting with your family, you can't see me, but I've got a big smile on my face because to me, that's what it's all about. And you and I were talking yesterday about how we enjoy getting out by ourselves, but going into the woods and sharing time with somebody that you love is a, there's no way to top that. No, I was a part of my son's first turkey as I as I very well should be, and I had a lot of blessings in my life. I've taken a lot of big white tails. I've traveled Alaska. I've been to Canada. I've I've done a lot of things, but there's nothing I've ever done in my life that topped uh, the look and the, of course his body going completely crazy when the turkey came in and him able to watch that turkey gobble and strut and come to a decoy and finally get him shot. And he got to see so many things on that first turkey hunt. And it was actually maybe in a nutshell, a little too easy for him and kind of spoiled him a little bit. So yeah. his, he hasn't gotten the patient part down yet. He thinks that they ought to come running in every time daddy opens his mouth and it don't work that way. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. I I think that turkeys should do the same when I call too, and and I know my calling's not nearly as good as yours. So I think surely anytime Chris Parrish makes a turkey sound, even if he's in his truck driving down the interstate, turkeys have got to be running in in his direction to come to him when he makes a call. But well, I tell you what, that don't work out that way as often as you think. <laughs> but aren't you glad though? We talked about that too. That's what makes it so much fun. If we knew when we were going to kill one or we knew that we were going to kill one every time we went out 
it would take the fun out of it. And there would be a lot of days when we would say, well, you know what? I'm not going to go out today because I'm not going to kill one. Or, yeah, I'm not going to go out today because I want to save my my last bird for the last day of season. So exactly, that exactly. is the fun of it. If if it was the other way and we killed one every time we went out, we'd be talking about turkey killing. This would be the turkey killer podcast instead of the turkey hunter podcast. I agree. So. I agree. You, know, you go out every time with the confidence of knowing that you can get the job done, but there's got to be cooperation on the other end, and it's just not always going to happen. You know, and we discussed that. They're just out there being turkeys, and they don't know that they're not supposed to go through that lull period and that peak breeding period and make you scratch your head. They they don't know that they're supposed to, to accommodate you every time you, you call to them and every time you set up. Um, they're just out there being turkeys, and, you know, we got to take the good with the bad, and and uh, you learn from it, and you learn to be successful when they're not calling. Uh, you learn to, to, to back off and be patient when they're not as vocal and not, not run them around the woods and not spook them around and keep them in your area, especially if you're hunting small parcels of property. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to always learn, and, and I don't think, again, as long as I've been doing it, every year there's, there's something to be learned and something to be taken in and, and put in our repertoire to maybe be better at it the next time or to have another little trick the next time. And that to me is the, the element of hunting that is so important is to constantly be on that lookout for a better, better process, a better way to do it, a better way to handle a, a certain situation you're going to be faced with and to be open-minded with how you're hunting and, and your tactics and watching how hens are reacting and, and what they're doing throughout the day during the, the certain parts of the breeding season, if we're taking all that in, then every year there's something to learn. That's exactly right. Well, good deal, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories with us about your spring. And absolutely, I'm looking forward to getting some dates on the calendar to either come up there to hunt with you or have you hunt with me down here. Or and- both. Or both, yeah, even better, best of both worlds, and see if we can do some damage and scare some turkeys. Uh, we'll scare a few of them, but I've got a, I got a feeling there's probably a few of them going to have a headache at the end of the day. <laughs> Maybe from the loud bangs going on, and they're sitting sitting back in the roost at the night going, God, I don't, it just didn't look like it was going to rain today. I don't know where that thunder came from. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you speaking for yourself because you like to give them warning shots, or are you telling me that you've heard me talk about missing a few times as well? <laughs> I, I've never heard you mention the word miss. I'm talking about me 100%. I love Buddy. to shoot. You know, that's people ask me all the time, well, do you duck hunt? No, I don't duck hunt. Well, why don't you, get to, why don't you duck hunt? Because I might get the opportunity to shoot a couple of times, and then I'm done. They said, well, you like to turkey hunt? I said, yeah, but I I do a lot of shooting when I'm turkey hunting. (laughs) I don't necessarily do a lot of killing, but I do a lot of shooting. (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you this. I remember years ago doing a seminar, and I forget where it was. I've done so many. And I showed a friend of mine missing a turkey 25 yards, called it up there, and just just threw a big old air ball up and missed him. Mm -hmm. And and you would ask yourself, well, how in the world did did you miss? And I had a guy in the audience he said, I want to know how the heck you missed that, that guy missed that turkey with a scatter gun. And I said, well, I'll tell you. I said, sometimes in the excitement, you pull your head up, you shoot high, you got a lot, of, a lot of circumstances there. But I'll give you a real good piece of advice. The only reason you miss is because you got an opportunity. That's exactly right. 
And, and if you're not missing, you're not getting very many opportunities. That is exactly right. Yeah, I often say that I hope I get the chance to miss another one. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't yes. necessarily want to miss another one, but I hope I get the chance to miss another one. There's there's well, several reasons for that. I, I got to live another day, and I got to yeah. have another close encounter with a wild turkey, and there's not many more things in life that are finer than that. Well, he's definitely an addictive animal, and the only other animal I can tell you, in my personal opinion, that's as addictive is a bull elk, and he is nothing but a, a 700-pound turkey that is can smell you. And, boy, I tell you, when you when you work a bull elk and you're moving and calling him and doing your thing with him, it, it will remind you so much of turkey hunting and that you're just in a different terrain. And, and it's another one that when you do it for the first time, Andy, I promise you, you're probably going to try to figure out a way to do it every year. I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. Not so, at all. As much as you love the turkey hunt, and I know that from anyone, anyone that likes the turkey hunt would, would – would take right to elk hunting because it's just a, it's the same thing only on steroids. Yeah. It's on the list. It'll get done in the next three or four years. I just well, have to make it a point to make it happen. There you go. There you go. You know, I, you only go around one time in this world and uh, you might as well enjoy doing things that you love to do. True indeed. Yeah. Fantastic. Chris, thank you again. I appreciate your time over the past day and appreciate you taking time out of your long drive to St. Louis and sharing all that information with us and sharing your spring stories with us and be careful driving and stay in touch. I will do that. I will do that. You have a great weekend. Thanks for the hospitality. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. You bet. You bet. Bye now. You know, my takeaway from that interview is that We are going to make mistakes in the turkey woods. Even those of us with many years of turkey hunting experience, it's going to happen. We're going to sometimes make silly mistakes, and afterwards we're going to question our intelligence and ask why we even bothered to get out of bed that day. But we shouldn't let those mistakes take away from the experience that we get to have. So we call a bird in and spook him as we begin to move the gun to get on him, or we shoot and we miss him. Big deal. We got the opportunity to work a turkey into us and see him do what he does in the springtime. Even better, we get to hunt him again. We just practice catch and release on a wild turkey. What can be better than that? He's going to gobble again in the coming mornings, and that's awesome. And we probably also made him a little more wise and wary and gave ourselves the opportunity to learn a little bit more from him. But now let's face it, wild turkey tastes great, and we should get the chance to enjoy it each season. So let's learn from those mistakes that we make, and let's not try to repeat them, and let's not beat ourselves up, and let's use these opportunities to get better. So you guys stay positive and confident and persistent out there, especially you guys that are doing some fall hunting right now. So that's all for me this week. But before I let you go, I have one favor for you. If you would, please use your podcast player app to forward this episode of the Turkey Hunter podcast to a buddy or two and help spread word about the show that way for me this week. If you'll do that, that's a huge favor and it's greatly appreciated by me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. 
You are just listening to the Turkey Hunter Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.